You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 62 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for October 2018, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a panel which is small in number, but high in quality. Um, perfectly timed to coincide with an Apple earnings call, we have Linda Goucher back with us. Hi, Linda. Hi, Bart. I always like it when your timetable aligns with mine uh, when we have an earnings call to talk about, because your insight is... So much more insightful than mine. Um, and also, as it happens, it's been quite an eventful earnings call, so we're definitely going to have plenty of stuff to get stuck into today. Ah, uh, yes, there are hullaboos today. Hullaboos, that's a good word. <laughs> um, also joining me from nowhere near as far away as Silicon Valley is uh, Dermot Daly from Tapadu. Hi, Dermot. Hey, Bart, how are you? I am just fine. Actually, I presume you're in the greater Dublin area somewhere. I never did ask. I am in the greater Dublin area. I'm in the north side of Dublin, so... No, we're probably... Dublin 5. We're probably physically quite close then, because I'm out of Maynooth, so... Oh, right. Anyway, enough talk of geography, because we have... Oh, my goodness, has it been a busy month of uh, of stuff. Um, before we get stuck into new stuff, just a few little follow-ups. Um, there was... I think we were talking last time about the whole big hullabaloo about selfie gate, because, of course, everything has to be a gate. Um, so... The iPhone XS, its new cameras, people thought that Apple were applying a filter to make you look prettier and that this was some sort of scandal. Turns out it was actually a bug that sometimes a an overly soft image was picked as the sort of keyframe image instead of a properly sharp one and iOS 12.1 fixed that. So not so much a gate as a whoopsie, but either way, fixed. Um, and then since we last spoke, the iPhone XR has been released and it, I mean, we talked a lot about it uh, when it was announced. Um, the reviews have been extremely favorable, so it, it basically has lived up to everything that we were expecting from it. Um, do either of you guys on the panel have a particularly strong opinion on the XR? I think it's a great addition to their lineup. Um, I bought an X or a 10S for myself. Uh, because I wanted the camera features, mm, um, yes. and I and I don't like the large size because my hands are small. So I so the perfect one for me is the you know the smaller of the of the ones with the nicer camera. But um, it looks gorgeous, and I think it will be a perfect phone for a lot of people. Yeah, and it it seems to be getting positively reviewed, so it seems to live up to its promise. Yeah, two two of my colleagues in the office um, got themselves XORs. Uh-huh. Um, or ten hours. I don't know what it is. Ten hours. I think hours, t- technically I'm being very hours. bold here, calling it an XOR. But yeah, okay. ten hours. They got the, they got the ten hours. Um, it is a beautiful looking device. Um, it's very nice. Uh, there is a slight difference between the LCD screen and the OLED screen. Uh, I would have a preference for the OLED screen. Um, John Gruber's review was quite comprehensive and he, he basically made out that the, in low light condition, the XOR camera is the best of the lot. So, but It is know. a wider lens, isn't it? Even wider than the wide angle on the 10s. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was something got to do with its f-stops or whatever that it actually is letting in more light. But um, well, yeah, so a wider lens, real is... marked difference there. Real marked difference. Yeah. A wider lens will give you more light. 
by yeah. the factor of how it works. Basically, you're spreading the same. Sure. Yeah, the same light density goes further at a wider field of view. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. I haven't seen one in the flesh yet. Do, do they feel? I, they're aluminium versus stainless steel, I believe. So do they feel a bit lighter than than the ten S? Um, I don't think it was actually lighter. It is. Um, what's interesting about it is um, its screen is bigger, so it's bigger than the ten. Yeah, um, it's going right to the edge, obviously. Uh, which it, it it feels like a like a plus device almost. Um, it's also a little bit slippy. So the the brushed aluminium is nice, but slippy, and um, the, uh, that always worries me. The slippy phones, you know, you nearly have to buy a case of them. Yeah, well, with the camera bumps sitting at the back, it's almost like Apple expect you to. Yeah. But they didn't bring out an official one, I believe. Oh, well, not oh. yet anyway. Maybe that's in time for stocking stuffers, maybe. I don't know. We're getting close, though, so maybe not. Um, another development since last we spoke is that iOS 12 um, took care of grey key. So these were devices being sold by a sort of a grey hat company to law enforcement for brute forcing iPhones. They had found a way of getting around Apple's brute force protection and iOS 12 seems to have gotten around whatever they got around. So uh, the game of cat and mouse continues and the cat is now in charge. Um, And I'm assuming the mouse is doing its best to catch up. Um, Apple has also opened up its um, consumer data privacy portal uh, to people in the US. Uh, those of us in Europe have had it since May, thanks to the GDPR, but everyone in America now gets to join in. And I believe it was Apple's intention to roll this out to more countries over time as well. So it's fun to do, actually, to download everything Apple have on you. It's, it's quite a lot of stuff, in my case. Um, and yeah, so that's that's now in America. Um, we also talked a while ago about the fact that it was one of the announcements at WWDC that Apple would be allowing uh, their RFC, NFC, sorry, in their iPhones to work uh, as, as a digital wallet in universities. There are now three US universities who've deployed this system. So that's, you know, it's in the wild now. And I presume it'll roll out to more schools over time. And finally, iOS Business Chat has expanded to 30 companies worldwide. So not exactly a huge takeoff, but they're continuing to roll out that uh, new feature they announced must be about a year ago now. 2017, they put it out at WWDC 2017 and um, it was kind of shoved into the last day. Um, And I actually went along to that event, came away gone. This is going to be massive. Um, Note to self, don't make predictions about Apple stuff. Yeah, Uh, but but I think it's not massive because Apple haven't pushed it with the companies, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I thought, you know, this was going to be something that would be really, really big. Um, You know, Apple have boasted on a number of occasions that iMessage is the most used app in the world. Um, And that's why they're putting so many good stuff, uh, good things into it. But... This one has taken me by surprise. I really thought we would see lots of companies on uh, business chat very quickly, but no, it's uh, very slow, very slow takeover. But I'm wondering, is that because Apple are, are sort of have a, a sort of a filter? Like, is it generally available to any company to sign up? Or I, I'm not actually sure, but I know that they did announce on launch day, like last year, or it was kind of a pre-announcement, to be fair. But they they announced three or four integrations with some of the big help desk software. Yeah. So, 
you know, it, it sounded like it was just ready to go uh, at the time, albeit um, preview. But I don't know. It's just, you know, like you say, I, I, they they may be doing gatekeeping and only allowing certain companies on it. But, um, you know, we've, we've yet to see it in the wild, obviously. Yeah, I've yet to encounter it, and I'd really quite like to because oftentimes the best you can do is Twitter with a company. It seems to be the only thing they listen to, and it's not really great experience, is it? So it'd be nice if this rolled out a bit more. Yeah, I guess I guess with things like this, though, um, the the technology doesn't always get to lead the way. So while the technology is um, is great, the the business practices that need to be put in place to support it is probably the bigger stumbling block. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a tool to enable corporations to communicate better, but if they don't have the, the, the their support infrastructure behind it, it's a tool is useless. Exactly, exactly. Another thing may be demand from their specific customers. If their customers start asking for it, you know, hey, I would like to communicate you with you this way, you know, that can sometimes get, get a company moving. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. companies aren't going to have a fire. You know, if companies don't have a fire under them, they may not get sucked in. Interesting. Anyway, um, notable numbers. There was only one that sort of crossed my radar this month, uh, which actually came from the keynote we'll be talking about in detail shortly. Um, this is one of those random things Tim Cook said sort of, you know, in his introduction. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we now have 100 million active Mac users. So not 100 million Macs sold over time, but 100 million Macs in the wild today being all Mackie, which is a pretty darn good install base if you're trying to sell software and stuff. So that that is healthy, I think. Right. Yeah, big numbers. Yeah. Uh, a quick rundown of some hiring, firings and acquisitions that happened this month. Um, BBC Radio 1 hip-hop DJ Charlie Sloth, or Sloth, or however you pronounce that, <laughs> is joining Apple Music. You can tell how much I know about this chap. Um... Or about hip hop, uh, so uh, I'm assuming that's a big deal, but doesn't really mean much to me. Um, Apple have also acquired a machine learning startup that has something to do with photographs. Of course, the usual we from time to time we acquire companies and we don't tell you why. Um, and Apple have also acquired 300 dialogue semiconductor designers for 300 million dollars. So, continuing their investment in making their own silicon. And I, you know, I think we're all expecting one of these days to find that Intel is no longer welcome on any of Apple's products. I think that's that day seems like it's coming ever closer when you see these kind of acquisitions. Yeah, and when you see the specs coming out of the latest um, iPad Pros, yeah, um, it's just outstrip everything that's out there, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, and um, it's also in Apple's messaging, right? When they were describing the iPad Pro, they were. Saying things like, you know, faster than 90-something percent of PCs sold. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're setting us up to tell us, oh, yeah, and by the way, now our PCs are faster than most PCs because our PCs are as good as our iPads. Yeah, it's got, it's, it's got to start to feel that way soon, hasn't it? I mean, um, I saw one tweet. I think it was Stephen Troughton-Smith. He's um, uh, an interesting guy. He's an Irish guy who uh, tweets a lot about uh, internals and so on. And he's basically saying that, you know, his, the iPad Pro now in terms of specs um, and in terms of benchmarks and so on are outstripping consoles. And, you know, they've no fans. They're an inch thick or whatever it happens and to be. And battery life 
that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing, all right. Yeah, so let's see. interesting to see where Apple spend their money. So with that out of the way, let us get stuck into the main stories. Uh, we basically, we have four of them this month. Um, and the first one is quite the controversy that opened the month out for us all. Um, so Bloomberg are a fairly large and fairly reputable media organization. And their Washington Bureau, so that's interesting, their Washington Bureau, not their Technology Bureau, released a story entitled The Big Hack... How China used a tiny chip to infiltrate U.S. companies, and they had a picture of a teensy weensy little chip on the tip of someone's finger. Uh, it turns out that was an artist's impression of what it might look like, because um, it turns out no one's actually found any of these hypothetical chips. But anyway, they said that uh, China had infiltrated a motherboard company in the U.S., uh, Supermicro. And uh, or a server company, sorry, and had installed teeny tiny chips onto their motherboards so that they would phone home when those servers were installed in data centers. And they said there were 30 US companies that had been infiltrated, including major banks, and the only two named companies were the clickbait du jour, Apple and Amazon. Yeah, what a story. What a story. Uh, it, it made for a great read. Um and I sat there reading it and uh, was kind of hooked on it. It was really well written. Um, and then, of course, the next couple of days, everyone came out and said, oh, this is all lies. So and and the the uh, blowback was 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 reasonably specific. And both Apple and Amazon were saying, no, this didn't happen. This is lies. So who God knows what happens. I, I, I really don't know what happened here. Well, I think that. Yeah. So my initial reaction was. Oh no! I'm going to have to talk about this on Let's Talk Apple. And on the one hand, we have a news organization with years worth of reputation, and on the other hand, we have two corporations with extremely clear denials. Like they didn't. This was weasel-free denial. There were no fuzzy words to mush it all up to make it, you know, to make it a non-denial denial or anything like that. These were straight down the middle. You know, Bloomberg got it wrong, denials. Um, also backed up by uh, GCHQ and perhaps the FBI in the United States. Yeah, so the so, D- DHS press secretary have a thing basically saying that they have no reason to doubt Apple and Amazon. The UK's GCHQ came out with very similar. So GCHQ is the UK's equivalent of the CIA, I believe, the one that does signals intelligence. The FBI, I saw a report on the news, the FBI director also came out and said, don't believe everything you read in the press. Right. Which was really interesting. I mean, he would not, they, he would not, and they, they don't by policy say whether there is or is not an investigation. Yes. But the original article itself reported that there was some kind of investigation going on. And basically he poured cold water on that as well. Yeah, and Apple also said, you know, so the article said that Apple contacted U.S. law enforcement when they found these chips, and Apple said, we didn't find these chips, and we didn't contact law enforcement because we didn't find these chips. Um, And so there's supposedly lots of these chips in the wild, but no one has been able to find a single solitary one. So the reason the photograph on the cover of the story was an artist's impression was because I didn't actually have a chip. And even now, weeks after the story has broken, no one has been able to find a single solitary chip. Uh, also, every other news outlet has been trying to 
recreate Bloomberg's reporting to independently verify the story. And they have all come up short. No one has been able to reproduce this story. So it appears that perhaps through a game of Chinese whispers, because this was the Washington Bureau and not the Tech Bureau, they managed to somehow slowly get from what could be a disaster. I mean, you know, supply chain infiltration is a hypothetical problem that is actually extremely serious. And it's it's a real potential issue and something that the security industry is genuinely concerned about. But we seem to have gone from what we're afraid might happen to what did happen. And it just doesn't seem like it. To me, anyway, the balance of evidence is very clear. I really don't think this happened. Yeah. Tim Cook has called for um, Bloomberg to retract the story. As and that hasn't yeah. – right. And and um, that has not happened yet. So that's kind of interesting I'm uh, because Bloomberg, being historically a, a, an organization with some, uh, some integrity mm. – you know, they don't go around just spreading rumors for the sake of spreading rumors in my experience of them. And I don't get why they haven't retracted the story yet. So this, there's got to be something going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I guess uh, you know, just just playing devil's advocate for a second here. But sure. you know, if it were true, um, I don't think it's in anybody's interest to admit it's true. So, uh, and that goes right up to the top of the U.S. government. I mean, um, mm. You know, it, it does represent uh, an embarrassing breach of security if it is one. Um, so if Apple come out and say that didn't happen and um, they talk to the right people in the FBI and say that didn't happen, sure it didn't. And they said, no, that didn't happen. And it goes to the top of the CIA, you all claim it didn't happen. Um, that's um, you know, That would, would um, meet your narrative part of, well, there's no evidence here to prove that. Um, yeah, but that that's calling for a conspiracy now, and it's also, you know, under F, uh, you know, these are publicly traded companies, so it's one thing to have a non-denial denial. You can get away with that and say, well, we didn't say anything factually wrong, or yeah. to say nothing, or to not to comment. But once you go out and make extremely clear statements, including actually saying we are not under a gag order, yeah. Mm. Like that's why would that be some trouble if 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 Tim Cook is is proven to be lying here? Like that that is the end of his career because like if, if Elon Musk can get into serious trouble for a few careless tweets, <laughs> like this kind this level of barefaced lying would be astonishing. Like that would talk about stock manipulation. Like Jesus, I, yeah. And the stock you want to see the stock is down already. You want to see see it go down considerably further. That would that would cause that. The other the other um, the other side of that, Dermot, is there are political influences in the United States that would love to undermine the supply chain in China. Sure. And that, I mean, if you want to do conspiracy theories, that's where I would go. I would go, but but Bloomberg doesn't fit in that category. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very interesting story in that sense. I, I would love to know what really happened. And hopefully you know, it, we will at some point. I think there's another thing that, that that's a play here, which is that uh, when a mainstream press needs to explain a technical story, uh, you, you naturally have to dumb it down for the masses, for for want of a better way to put it. I mean, yeah. um, if you get too technical, only technical people will like the article and read it, if you know what I mean. So um, I, I think that when you write a technology article like this for the masses, 
there's a danger that in in making it uh, readable to the masses, if you like, um, you you dilute the story somehow, and by dil- diluting the story, you you get a chance for people to say, no, that didn't happen because it's not quite what happened, if you know what I mean. So, um, and by the way, I, I don't, I genuinely, I'm just sitting here confused. I, you know, I genuinely don't know whether this really happened or really didn't happen. Um, well, I, just, I, I just to address some of that though, because Apple didn't just say what Bloomberg said didn't happen and Apple statements, they go much further. They actually make uh, blanket statements of their own, you know, just, sure. On this, we can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Yeah. I mean, there's no no wiggle room there. Uh, Unless one of their consultants found it, and there you go. Their consultants found it, but Apple didn't. And I'm I'm just being devil's advocate here, if you know what I mean. I, I, um... Yeah, it's unequivocal. It's on on a what's the word I'm looking for? Unequivocal. Unequivocal. Yeah, but um, you know they didn't say Apple nor any of our security consultants have ever found. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, well, um, no, but it, it, that I mean you well, would find it extremely difficult to defend that because if the consultant tells you, then Apple found right. The other part is I'm not sure how many security consultants get their hands on the hardware inside Apple servers rooms. Because they yeah. are so meticulous in what they do with respect to security. I mean, I, I know that yeah. just from living just from living in this area. You talk to yeah. a few Apple employees, and boy, that place is locked down. Well, one of the so, things that came out in some other reporting on this is that um, the, the Apple Insiders told one of the other papers that they actually photograph every motherboard that comes in and compare it programmatically to a known good motherboard, so that if there's anything out of place it will be automatically picked up and of course regardless of what man in the middle you do it all has to talk out through the network and so actually where a lot of where apple and amazon have a lot of their security mounted is at the perimeter because it doesn't really matter whether it's a chip or whether it's a dodgy driver or whether it's a buggy piece of software if there's anything trying to talk out they need to catch it you know so how it was talking isn't really all that important and they are monitoring this stuff extremely carefully for data exfiltration Point. Yeah, no, I, th- point. I think you're dead right. You know, I, I, I think the the way this thing would have been found, if any, would be here. Why is this thing calling China? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Where is this yeah. traffic coming from? This is not explained yeah. by what we intended to be coming from this data center. Yeah. Um, and then one one last sort of piece in the puzzle that adds a little more smoke, I guess. Um, only one source is actually named and he's a security expert and he was interviewed on a podcast and he basically said i was asked to explain the hypothetical danger here and it's very real as i said already and so he explained to them how this could happen and his description of what could happen matches exactly with their description of what they say did happen and he basically said either i'm a genius or something doesn't add up here yeah I guess the the will the, the the way this uh, I don't know if we'll ever know unless Bloomberg writes a retraction, but um, that, that that'd be very damaging to their reputation as well. Yeah, it's going to be damaging to their reputation if they don't. Though, I mean, they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place. If if in fact what they reported is false and they don't retract it, that makes them look even worse. It really does undermine them. 
only if only if the story continues to grow legs. I mean, you know what? What's it? This week's this week's news is next week's uh, chips wrappers, yeah. and you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I un- unless it's pursued by Apple or Amazon, I I think it just it's a story that goes away. Uh, maybe I I'm, I would go the other way. My my gut says the other way in terms of what's going on in the U.S. with respect to the press these days. That's sure. just a bad way to go to leave it hanging there if 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 it's untrue and they find out that it is untrue. Here's here's hoping we're talking about it again next month then. Yeah, that would be nice actually, some follow up with some clarity. Because at the moment what you basically have is a preponder a preponderance of evidence pointing towards Bloomberg to being wrong. Story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like, you know, clear as a bell here. It's a preponderance of the evidence. The most, <clears throat> you know, the most in keeping with reality would appear to be. So it would be very nice to have some clarity on this. Yeah. So moving us along to our second main story, which in some ways was kind of a setup to the third main story, which was Apple's There's More in the Making event. So not a few days before Apple's event, Adobe had a big event, uh, their sort of annual um, photography event, actually no, a software event. Um, and they announced that they were bringing the quote unquote real Photoshop to the iPad in 2019, which is... A big deal because every time anyone wants to have an argument about, about why an iPad isn't a computer, there is only one app on planet Earth that seems to get called out every time, and that would be Photoshop. So at least we can stop world. having that argument. <laughs> the one, the, the acid test that's always brought out around around that I hear is when as soon as Xcode runs on an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your community, you're right. That is definitely yeah. going to be the one that everyone wants. And th- that has not happened yet. And that's entirely in Apple's no. control. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so fu- full-on Photoshop. So basically, and when we say full-on Photoshop, we don't mean the desktop UI with your finger as a really shitty mouse. We mean <laughs> the actual Photoshop rendering engine and the ability to read and write true PSD files. Um, And they... So in their own keynote, they didn't really get to do much demoing. Well, they did a bit, but not to the same extent as they actually could when Apple had their event announcing new iPads, and then lo and behold, Adobe get hauled out on stage, and Adobe get to demo their shiny, shiny software running on Apple's new shiny, and I certainly thought it demoed darn well. Yeah, it looked gorgeous. I just we just watched that. I didn't get to watch it at the time, but I watched it this past weekend, and uh, it's very impressive. Um, the thing I noted, though, I believe did she say that file was five gigs? Yeah, it may have been it, three gigs. It, it, I, One of the two. It was a massive. It was a massive high resolution image that you could basically print the size of a giant big billboard. Like it, she was not editing a little JPEG. She she was editing an absolutely massive file, and it was. There was no lag. She was pinching and zooming and sliding and tapping, and it it was just all instant. So again, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, that little slab of glass has some serious, serious oomph in it. And, you know, the people at Adobe really do seem to be going all in on this mobile thing, which is great to see. People who do that, though, are going to need a lot of storage if they're playing around with five gig files or three gig files, for that matter. That's you know if you're <laughs> if you're doing a lot of those, <laughs> you're going to need some capacity or bandwidth, right? Ultimately, oh yeah, the whole. I mean, Ooh. Adobe are really pushing their creative cloud. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, the uh, bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. 
So so Adobe are sort of Adobe's take would be we'll cash locally what what you're working on right now the second, but don't think of your local stuff as your long term storage. We've got that for you. Just hand us over your money every month. <laughs> yeah. And it's not actually to be honest, it's um their their Lightroom Cloud package is twelve ninety nine euro, so I think it's probably even cheaper in dollars per month for a terabyte of storage. So it's not actually that bad a value. However, I, that does not include Photoshop, so I wouldn't get to play along with that particular new shiny. But still, was there any talk about the price of Photoshop was going to be on iPad? I, well, I imagine the subscription only um, is my understanding. Uh, they didn't explicitly address it actually, so I, I sort of assumed that meant it was Creative Cloud. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree, but I think it's going to be very interesting because, um, you know, like you say, everybody calls it out as the professional app that's needed. Mm. Um, it's traditionally been a reasonably expensive piece of software that doesn't that doesn't mean it's not good value for money. It's just it is has been reasonably expensive, um, and I think it'll be interesting to see is Photoshop the one that starts to raise the bar for professional software on, on, on iOS. Yeah. I I mean, it, it, you know, if they get that running and I believe the, the Autodesk was mentioned as well. So if you have AutoCAD right, and you have Photoshop running on an iPad, that's not a toy anymore. I mean, originally at first when iOS came out, it was, Oh, you can't run office on it, but Microsoft addressed that years and years ago. And, uh, the, the iPad versions of Office are actually better than the Surface versions of Office, which is kind of ironic. Um, so that sort of had the business people taken care of, and now we seem to have the creatives taken care of, and it's such a good interface for being creative on. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, so it, I, I mean, I love this. I love this concept. So I, I was really happy to see that from Adobe. So let us move then into our third big story, which is Apple's event, which I thought was going to be the biggest story of the whole month. But of course, then Bloomberg had to happen. But anyway, um, so Apple on October 30th rounded out the month with an event they called There's More in the Making. It was in New York, which meant that I actually had to take a half day off work because instead of the keynote being at 6 p.m., which is conveniently after my 5.30 p.m. end of working day, uh, the event was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, because Americans decided that they don't do summer time the same time as everyone else. Very annoying. Um, but anyway, so it was in New York. Um, it seemed to have a very good audience because Tim got an awful, awful lot of applause. And apparently there was it was in a school of arts and music, I think. And apparently a bunch of the students got tickets which may explain the enthusiasm of the crowd but it was tim was certainly energized by them and they were energized by tim it was a very i don't know tim looked really comfortable on stage hmm. i thought it's interesting i thought he was a little off at the very beginning it almost was like he was he was had too much oomph to him if that makes sense right. um but then he seemed to settle down and the audience loved and loved him i mean that was yeah i agree with that 100% Actually, and even before it started, we knew we were in for something creative because the invites went out to the media and normally it's one graphic which everyone then analyzes in the ultimate game of Kremlinology. Uh, But this time, every media outlet got a different graphic. There were all Apple logos done in very artistic ways. And so one of the first links in this section of the show notes is actually a list or a link to all 370 artistic renderings of the Apple logo that were used for the invites. They must have had a competition in the office. 
more than the office to me. Yeah. Anyone in the office could could uh, submit one. That was an awful secret. lot of yeah, an awful lot of energy went into that. That's for mm-hmm. sure. And they were gorgeous. They were really nice, nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. So with with the expectation set that there was going to be creativity, um, Tim came on stage and uh, opened up with what I think is one of the most beloved computers and one of Apple's most abandoned computers of the last while, which is the MacBook Air. People, Air users are so passionate about their Airs, it is astounding to me. And despite the fact that they have had terrible displays for years and years and years now, people still kept buying them, but no more. Apple have completely brought up to date the MacBook Air, if you imagine the beautiful little uh, MacBook Adorable, the little 12-inch MacBook, and you just give it an extra inch. You keep the industrial design pretty much the same. You give it an extra inch. You give it a gorgeous retina display with very small bezels. Then you throw in all the latest cool gadgets, like a T2 security chip, and that then enables also Touch ID. Um, and then you have yourself a pretty darn shiny little laptop. Yeah, let me just go on the record. I'm one of those MacBook Air fans. Um, my last MacBook Air died on me about two months ago. Oh, um, much to my dismay, and I had to. I, 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 we, we had a couple of spare laptops in the office, so I'm on a MacBook Pro now, a 13 inch Pro. But I much preferred the Air. It, it was just something. It, it's an adorable piece. of It was my second one, yeah. um, and it was the 2013 edition. Um, uh, which I bought at a a WWDC. I was over watching, and they launched. They they revved all the specs on the air, and they probably dropped the price or something at the same time. And um, that day, uh, one of the guys that we were with went and got one up at up at the San Francisco store. And the next day, two of us went up and got one. And just walked <laughs> walked into we walked into the shop, and a man came over and said, "Can we help you, sir?" And I said. Do you want any of those new MacBook Airs? And he says, yes, we do. And I said, have you any fully loaded? And he says, yes, sir, we do. I said, <laughs> I'll have one of them. <laughs> and it was one of these really enjoyable buying experiences. Um, as he was walking away, I, I, I called after him and said, better get me an iPod as well. I need to put iOS 8 on it, whatever it was at the time. Um, but I've I've used it every single day since. Um, it's an, you know... It, it it felt to me as snappy as the day I bought it, the day it died. It was just um, they boot quickly. They've this is one of the things that that uh, Windows users never get to see. Macs stay fast; they don't degrade over time. Yeah, they don't they don't accrue crapware over time. If you know what I mean, it's just it was still every well, bit as good. It and depends on you happened, though, because if you keep installing stuff, it still gets installed. <laughs> They don't pick yeah. it up of their own accord, but if you stick it on... No, I, I know what you mean, but I, I, I still think that, um, you know, I've, I've never, you know, lots of family come to me every now and then and say, my laptop's gone slow, and you go in and it's just, it has got worse over time. Yeah. And none of my families with Macs come to me with that problem. Yeah, no, and, like I say, it's us nerds, right? It's people like you know, it's people like me who can't help but try stuff. We, we add clutter to our machines by us running installers and by us, you know, doing things. Yeah, but, but, the but machine doesn't at, just 
get slow by itself. You don't leave a Mac alone and it just becomes slow. You have to do it, which is which is very no, I, different. I, I, I take your point, but I, I think um, there's a different attitude towards things like start um, allowing stuff run on login or run on startup. Mm. Um, the default is not to do that. I just think there's a different attitude. I don't know what it is. Anyway, my, look, I love my MacBook Air. Now, like I say, it died on me. I think the SSD died. What happened was um, I tend to use it clamshelled with a cinema display in work. And I came back from being away from it and it was asleep and I pressed the button for it to wake up and it didn't wake up. Mm. And when I restarted it, it gave me this, uh, just a graphic on the screen, basically saying there's nothing I can boot with. Yeah, it's a dead disk. I tried reinstalling and all sorts of stuff and it was just like they couldn't find the disk. So I think the SSD is gone on it. And Um, they're soldered onto the board on those little machines. I mean, they're effectively like iPads with Intel chips, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I don't think it's for fixing. I haven't even tried to get it fixed although i might at some point but um so the the thing is this would be the machine that i would have absolutely bought only for i do have a a perfectly usable machine at the moment Um, that's a spare i mean you need to have a spare around the office i think you definitely need to buy (laughs) it i know what you're saying i know and i look if um you know if if there is a new laptop to be bought for the office in any shape or form, it's going to be a MacBook Air with Retina display for me, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, one thing um, that did get a mention, uh, and I don't know was it specific, but they seem to make out that it's got an improved keyboard, and we all know that the MacBook Adorable has a terrible keyboard, or at least... You say we all know. I, 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 I am as fond of my MacBook Adorable as you are of your MacBook Air. And I have a first-generation one, so I don't have the middling keyboard. So maybe the keyboard got worse before it got better. Um, but Yeah, they, they specifically called out the keyboard, so I'm wondering if they have done even more to the keyboard. Who knows? Yeah, At the very least, it's called... a third-gen one, right? Yeah. Yeah, they may have called it out because there's been so many... There's been a considerable amount of upset along the way. Whether and, and some people say that's just not warranted. They haven't had that experience at all. But a number of people have been unhappy with the butterfly keys. Yeah, um, yeah I know. I, 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 at one of the um, one of the daring fireball events at Dub Dub, um, the talk show events in the last couple of years, they've had um, you know they'd they'd have a couple of execs from from Apple out. Mm, right. Um, Phil Schiller was there and so on, but. Um, I know that Phil at one stage said um, sometimes things get good press, but we've got the stats and we know how bad they are or how bad they aren't. And the implication was whatever was the current complaint of the day, um, which may have been Mac keyboards, I can't remember. He was playing it down and saying it's not near as bad as the press are making it. That that was what he was getting at. He didn't even say it in that many words, but he was kind of saying, "Look, we really know." Um, Everyone you know, who opens a case with Apple Care, you have to think Apple are mining that data to figure out, of course, yeah. Which yeah. I, I think that was actually that answer from Phil. I remember very clearly. That was in response. So that was at that time when when the meme of the day was that oh, the Mac is just not as stable as it used to be. Yeah. And Phil was like, well, actually, every time your Mac crashes, we know about it and we have the numbers and it's it's more stable. 
Yeah, yeah, you might well be right. You might well be right. But the same logic applies, but, right? Yeah. It, it, they... And of course, fam- famously, um, f- famously, that's why Steve Jobs said they weren't letting flash on iOS. They basically said the single biggest source of crashes on Safari worldwide is caused by flash. Ad- yeah, Adobe Flash, yeah. And not to mention battery drain and not to mention security vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. many reasons not to go down that road, which is, I'm so happy that uh, Steve Jobs basically killed Flash and he deserves a medal. Yes. I yes. I think everybody can agree with that. Absolutely. Um, the other thing just to mention, so the, the, the Touch ID, I think, is a huge deal. Um, it's something I really miss on my little MacBook Adorable. And then the other cool thing is the T2 chip on the laptops actually has a physical disconnect on the microphone when the lid is closed. So if you close the lid, it, there is a physical disconnect of the microphone, which means that not even, you know, the worst malware that gets right into the kernel level, nothing can override a hardware switch. So that's that's a really nice sort of thinking ahead feature from Apple there. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, why not Face ID on laptops at this stage? I they would imagine because camera. it costs a lot of money to put those sensors in. I, I, I'm assuming it's going to be coming because it does seem like the right thing to do, doesn't it? It's magic, right? So I, I absolutely yes. love the iPhone 10 uh, and Face ID. And interestingly, there's a, a prominent security researcher in the UK called Graham Cluley. Uh, he, he does some really, really good um, follow-ups to security um, security breaches and so on. Hmm. And he, he would be friendly with a prominent security researcher in Ireland called Brian Honan, who, who's a guy I happen to know. And um, I saw Graham Cluley saying, uh, you know, he, he'd Face ID is stopping him from buying his next iPhone, and I was like, "Why? Why do you not like Face ID?" I thought he had, um, I thought he had a legit security concern I hadn't thought about because he's that well respected. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's his thing, right? And he he basically said, "Imagine having to look at your phone every time you need to use it." And I'm I'm kind of thinking, "How do you use it?" Without I was going to say <laughs> that's the most natural know? thing that ever happens to me with a touch screen. Device. I, I really wanted to. Um, it's so hard to do that in a tweet, but I really wanted him to. I wanted it to say, "Dude, you just have to use this for a day. You will love it. You will absolutely love it." And it's just so natural. And to my mind, um, maybe there's a reason I haven't thought about around security of not doing it on a laptop, but. Imagine I sit down on my Mac and it says, oh, there's Dermot, and it just wakes up. I, 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 I think it's coming. Better. I, I really think yeah. it's coming. But it's now the thing is, right, your phone, your phone you're looking at in a very... The angle between your the camera and the phone is going to be very predictable, so it's easy to do the dot projection. With a laptop, people will have a different angle, so you're going to have to have a much, much bigger matrix of dots that you're projecting. So I, I think it's just a little bit harder, actually. And you're also definitely further away from it, so the dots need to be closer together. That sounds like a thing that machine learning would just sort out, you know? It's, oh, no, you know, I, think that... it's, I think it's entirely surmountable. So my prediction for what little it's worth is that it will happen within the next 12 to 24 months. Touch ID just feels like an old thing to me now. God, you know, it feels so ancient on my iPad, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I I actually prefer the touch ID to the to the face 
just, I mean, just for the other side. Yeah. And again, I've just got my, you know, like what a month ago, uh, got my uh, 10S. But if I am laying it on the counter in the kitchen and I'm playing a podcast, I have to lean over to make a change on the podcasts. And I've also heard people complain if they're in their car and they're at a stop sign, they have to pull it up and look at it as opposed to just reaching over with their, with their thumb. So, so these are very real, these, these are very real um, use cases. And I have found um, the phone in the kitchen face ID is bad for the phone in the kitchen. I totally agree with that because typically say, for example, you're, you're doing a bit of cooking or something um, and you're, you're following a recipe and if you're like me, I've got my uh, my iPhone 10 on a 30 second go to sleep because it's bad for the battery. So I do find myself having to go back to the device and having to tilt it. You know, nor, you can't just leave it on the kitchen counter. OK, and, right. my and cooking apps all keep the screen on and I like that about them. So my timer app does that and so does my recipe app. So Paprika does it and Multitimer does it. I must I must get both of them. I'm getting all my recipes <laughs> from web pages. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I get see, them from webpage, then I pop them into Paprika so I can lay them out the way I want and so I don't see ads yeah. bouncing ahead all over the place. And yeah, one of the nice things is Paprika, it stays, it keeps the screen on and particularly actually on an iPad, it's great because as you tap the steps, they highlight and so you can really easily keep yeah. track. And as you as you use an ingredient, you strike it off just by giving it a quick tap. And it, I tend not to burn as many things. I tend not to break as many things when cooking with the iPad. I am going to download that app straight after this conversation. <laughs> there we go. And it has a, there's a Mac version too, so you can type your recipes up on the comfort of your Mac and have them sync to your iOS devices. It's great. does sound great. Yeah. Alison Sheridan put me onto that one, so Alison gets credit for that, but I adore that app. But I think, Linda, you're right. I mean, there are cases where Face ID is not ideal. Is but that every where other Siri time, comes it's in? Magic. Every other time, it's magic. Is that where Siri comes to the rescue? Now, I know I'm the kind of person who says you disable everything on your lock screen, especially Siri. But you know, it's all a trade-off between convenience and security. So, if you decide you want the convenience, as Siri gets better, does that begin to answer these kind of questions? Not for me. Uh, reason being, I have a HomePod, and in the same large room, and mm. that's it's actually um, using AirPlay to go across to the. Uh, HomePod. And if, right. But if I use that phrase, I'm going to get, and don't anybody say that because we'll have somebody else pipe into our conversation here. So <laughs> that's, you know, so that if I tried to address the phone that way, I would get the other device. So maybe that's, I'm too much of an Apple fan. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, and uh, the thing I usually want to do on podcasts is skip the ads and you can do that from the lock right. screen without unlocking the device. That's true. That's true. Um, I I think it's interesting that you say, is that where Siri, uh, is is it its uh, domain? What I would say is, as a absolute lover of the Mac Mini, I'd also go on record as quite the opposite when it comes to Siri. Uh, Siri just doesn't work well enough in Ireland. It doesn't Mm. work well enough with our accents, and it certainly has no good services behind it. So to me, it's, it's a toy at best. It's, you know, it very rarely works i want to love siri but so far i have failed miserably that's exactly it i want to love siri but siri keeps failing me and i and like every now and then we'll be sitting at home and you know with the family and the kids will ask a question and i'd say i've no clue and i'll turn around and i'll ask siri and it'll come out with some garbled rubbish which is nothing like i asked it and everyone laughs at me not at siri 
<laughs> that's not very fair. I have it's, to say, I found well, a few. A few. If you stick within within the right area, so again, coming back to cooking, which is important to me. Um, one of the things that Siri is superb for, and I do on my watch all the time while I'm cooking, is unit conversion. So I will say, oh. "Hey, lady, how many teaspoons in a cup?" Yeah, you know, and perfect every time. So. But then you try to, you know, then you, you get cocky because it's like, well, I've managed to successfully interact with Siri five times in a row. So let's try to do something more powerful. And no. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I think I would, you know, I watch um, Apple ads at the start of the Apple events and they sell a lifestyle that I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, they use people on it, use their watch so much better than I do. And they use their phone in such ways that, that uh, you know, I can only be uh, jealous of and they use Siri in ways that uh, I've never seen it operate for me and it's you know the the reality is just a disappointment and it's it is regional to be fair and Ireland's a small region I get it but the the services aren't there either you know yeah yeah and I do use it multiple times every day although a lot of what I do is set a timer for three minutes and I may use that multiple times a day, but I also do other, other things. I don't even know what I do anymore because it's so unconscious, but um, yeah, it, it, I, I would let Apple know, just make sure you let Apple know if you're in that situation, you know, you and, and, and audience members, just let them know they, they will improve it gradually over time and then, you know, give it a shot every now and again, every month or two or whatever and um, see what happens. You know, yeah. I, I I do use it for things like timers, and it does work quite well for timers. Uh, but that does take me on to um, I have a similar setup to you, Linda. I have a uh, HomePod, um, and actually, the Siri on HomePod seems to recognize me better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the mic array. It's very very good. Um, uh, two things. Firstly, when Siri gets a music request wrong, it's an absolute disaster. Like yes. it starts playing something that, you know, you say, you know, play me the specials. And it goes, yeah, now playing the special hits of ABBA, you know, and it's like, no, I really, <laughs> really, what I really didn't want that, you know. So uh, I find that frustrating. And then the other thing is the likes of timers. Well, of course, if you've if you got your phone and your home pod, they do that all quick handshake. It happens real quick, but more often than not, the home pod gets the instruction. And uh, for some reason, I just prefer my timers on my phone than on my home pod. I don't like them going off in the middle of the music. So we also um, want more than one, which which is where it's yeah, well, down that's quite badly. Uh, which yeah, is yeah. why I just love multi timer because it does what it says on the tin. Um, yeah. yeah, just I, I'm going to move us on from from the MacBook Air, which is technically what we're talking about. <laughs> technically, because <laughs> it has Touch ID. Um, but yeah. just to pull us back to the to the um, MacBook Air, so probably the biggest thing it has going for it that takes it beyond the 12 inch MacBook Adorable. I mean, the 12 inch MacBook Adorable is not a nerd computer. I am a nerd, and I happen to love it because I use it basically as a thin client. You know, most of the stuff I do is on servers and I either, you know, Windows servers I get to over Windows Remote Desktop or Linux servers I get to over SSH. So I don't need my laptop to do any heavy lifting and I don't compile code in it and stuff. So I'm not, I'm a nerd, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional developer type nerd. I'm a different type of nerd. 
but it's really aimed at more normal people. So its biggest shortcomings are it has a single solitary one USB-C port, and the USB-C port is just a USB-C port. It is not Thunderbolt, which means it does not have DisplayPort, which means you can only shove an HDMI display into it with any sort of ease. You can't get a Thunderbolt display to work on a 12-inch MacBook. On the the 12-inch, right. Yeah, now... This is where the Air really takes things up a step. So yeah, it's nice to have the extra CPU oomph because the little 12-inch MacBook does not have a powerful CPU. It has a very unpowerful CPU. It's not trying to be powerful. The the, the Air has a much more oomph. And it has two ports, and they are both Thunderbolt as well as USB-C. They're Thunderbolt 3 ports. So that yeah, means you can drive. drive. 5K display, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, and that is a really like that is the only thing I will say negative about the 12-inch MacBook. If you need to drive an external display, unless it's like your average home monitor that's HDMI, no, that's not what this laptop is for. And the the Air is just so much. It's such an improvement over the MacBook Adorable in that regard. The the, the fact that those two ports have so much more oomph sitting behind them is a big deal. Yeah, I guess, although it has an i5, so it's still a kind of a mid-range um, yeah, but uh, the, device. The, but I, mean, I guess it has to be for in order to hit the price point. But also, um, right, yeah, I mean, mid-range is kind of relative because the little MacBook adorables, it would be fair to call them underpowered. The thing yeah. is, most people need about like 20% of the power on even a cheap Dell, so it's not really an issue. Like, my, I'm just looking yeah, here. So my my early 2015 12 inch MacBook Adorable has a 1.1 gigahertz Intel Core M. Yeah, right. Well, I guess when I when I go back to that 2013 MacBook um, MacBook Air that I had, I, I have no idea what the processor was, and I can literally can't remember. Um, but like I say, I. It, I never complained about speed with it. It, it never, it never felt at any point that it was a sluggish machine. It, it's having the fast SSD so close exactly makes exactly. such a difference. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so having made everyone very happy by giving the MacBook Air people wanted, Apple then went on to the other most abandoned computer that has a massive, massive fan following, which is the little Mac Mini. So the physical shape didn't change, and I think. Probably the single largest reason is because the majority of those little MacBook Airs sold sit in data centers. Yeah. And changing the shape of them would make Apple's biggest Mac Mini customers fairly cranky. So they kept the same shape, but they became that beautiful space gray, that sort of smoky aluminum. And they got brand new insides with a Boku de Oomph. Basically, if you spec those things up you can you can have as much bang for your for your well yeah actually as much bang for your book as a as an iMac Pro it's basically an iMac Pro without a screen and the entry yeah. level is much less dramatic than that but nonetheless they're they're nice little computers i think i think the mac mini is this interesting um interesting evolution in terms of what it was originally sold at yeah um, i remember when this first came out it was kind of like well this is the Mac for people who can't afford a Mac. So they, it's it's kind of bring your own keyboard and mouse. BYO uh, KBD, bring your own keyboard yeah. and display. That was actually their advertising. Yeah. And it was my that, first Mac. The, the first Mac I bought was the, the very, very first G4 Mac Mini was my first Mac that I yeah. bought with my own money. So that that's, that's what they were sold as. And in fact, 
they're more likely now that they're a replacement for the X serve. Yes. You know, they're nearly used as servers everywhere. We have two in the office. We use them as build servers. Yeah. Um, and they're quite old and they just chug along and they just work. So there's, you know, no problems with them. Um, solid, great little devices. You know, we remote into them. We, they don't even need a keyboard and mouse. Um, <laughs> don't even like bring your own. To, don't bother. <laughs> Exactly, um, but it, like I say, it's, it started life as a kind of a a mini desktop, whereas they they are, as you say, used in data centers a lot now. And there's um, there's a number of data centers that are um, dedicated to just Mac Minis. You know, there's a Mac Mini Colo and the like. Yeah, um, there's a link in the show notes to a recent uh, video where, where a guy who does a podcast basically got to visit the Mac Stadium, which is what they used to be yeah. called Mac Colo, they're now called Mac Stadium. And there's a video of their data center and they sort of talk you through how they have it set up. And it's kind of amazing because, you know, data centers are are a part of my life, right? I'm not a programming nerd, but I am a data center nerd because I'm a sysadmin. And I'm used to this concept of having to have a hot oil and a cold oil and the heat has to be pulled through the things. And the Mac Minis run so cool that they just sit. It's like, no, no, we don't have to do any of that kind of stuff here. We do that for the Mac Pros and it cuts across to, you know, your typical what you would expect to see. You have a hot aisle where all of the Mac Pros are all aimed to spit their their hot air into the hot aisle, and then between the hot aisle and the rest of the room, you have the the chillers, and so the air cycles through. But for the Mac Minis, there's no need to even do that. They run so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. There's, there's I, I guess there's one story that uh, slipped through the net though on both the Mac Mini and the MacBook Air release was that they both actually got a hundred dollar jump. <laughs> Yeah, um, so you are paying more. And actually, I'm going to say sit on that until we get the story four. And actually, I'm going to speed this up a bit because I just realized we're being very sluggish today. Um, I clearly should have had more coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the next thing then is the really creative stuff, which is the iPad Pro, which came with Face ID. And I think the biggest surprise, I think everyone expected it to have very skinny bezels. It doesn't have zero bezels because then you couldn't hold it, but it has very thin bezels. Um, It's got a a new sort of squared off look like a giant big iPhone 4, um, but very stylish looking. It has Face ID without the notch, so it'll make some people very happy. And it has an awful, awful lot of oomph, a seven core GPU and was it an eight core CPU or something? I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous speeds. It's Geekbench-wise, it gets up into iPad or into MacBook Pro territory. Not even, you know, my little 12-inch MacBook hasn't got a chance against an iPad Pro. And then to match all of that goodness, um, they've changed the port. It is USB-C. So it now has the same connectivity as my little MacBook Adorable. In fact, it has better connectivity because unlike my MacBook Adorable, the iPad Pro can drive a 5K display. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow, it's a Thunderbolt. I didn't realize that. I don't know if it's full Thunderbolt, but it definitely has DisplayPort. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. Oh, yeah. And as a, uh, the price you pay for this, apart from your dollars or euros, is a goodbye headphone jack. Uh, but Apple have conveniently released a USB-C to 3.5 millimeter dongle. Mm, Will that right. work on Android devices? It probably should, right? Because the USB-C is, is, is fairly well standardized. So It's a very complicated standard. Um, yes, I know that, that, is, a, that is very true. There's a, um, there's a, a Google engine 
outside of uh, USB-C uh, cables and what they're actually capable of. Um, yeah. Because it, there's a run through USB-C. It's, it's way more form factor, if you know what I mean. It is, actually, to be honest. Yeah, so really the bit that's actually standard is USB audio, which which is what's behind. So USB-C is purely actually about the physical connectors and what really matters is the chips behind it, which is why the same physical port of my MacBook Adorable can't drive a display properly, whereas that port on an iPad can because it has it has the brains behind it to do display port, whereas my little MacBook Adorable doesn't. But like the USB, so not USB-C, but USB, there is a thing called USB audio, which defines a standard API. Sure. And so all of those dongles are using the USB audio API, and whether it goes into a USB-A or a USB-C doesn't matter. It's the same protocol behind it. So it really should work on Android. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the interesting question then here is, are the iPads starting to be the ones that are blazing the trail? I mean, typically the phone blazes the trail, um, but you gotta you got to assume that the, the lightning port isn't long for this world. I don't know that. about that. I, I, I am not at all sure about that because... For an iPhone, the Lightning port is actually an extremely good port. It it meets its needs extremely well. But the iPad Pro is a lot closer to the first um, ARM-powered laptop than it is to an iPhone. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. If they're going towards USB-C, I don't see why you would... Um... You know, now we know that it's going to work well with an iOS device. Why not just go to it next year? It it wouldn't surprise me if we did, if we went to it next year. I'll grant Maybe. you it wouldn't surprise me, but it also wouldn't surprise me if five years from now we're still saying that. Hmm. In other words, I'm not committing to anything. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, of course, they got a big rev. So shiny screen, amazing power, looks gorgeous. The Apple Pencil has entered its version ah. two status um perhaps rather annoyingly your version one pencil won't work with your shiny new ipad and your shiny new pencil won't work with your old ipad so they really do come as a pair now the biggest least apple like things about the original pencil was the fact that to charge it you had to shove it into the bottom of the ipad in such a way that it was almost impossible not to imagine yourself snapping the damn thing off such a massive long lever on such a delicate little port and also, it had a little cap that you could lose. Yes. Which, again, I don't know how, I mean, you know, one of, literally, an award-winning designer managed to make such a stupid design. I do not get how Johnny Ive let that one out the door, but so be it. All gone. The new pencil has a flat side because it magnetically sticks quite solidly, um, good old neodymium magnets, uh, to the side of the iPad, which A, holds it in place, and B charges it and C pairs it so you're pairing and you're charging and you're keeping your pencil all together and no more cap and apart from that it seems to be at least as good if not better than the original pencil oh yes and there's um, you can use double tap as a gesture when then apps are free to apply whatever makes sense so in the photoshop demo we saw a double tap for changing from a brush to an erasing tool and so forth so that really does open things up so it looks like a nice update to the pencil i keep thinking i want one <laughs> i have no use for it but i still want one that's yeah i i will definitely be buying a new ipad don't know which one yet i need to have them in my hands and they aren't mm. in the stores here yet but 
I will definitely be getting one of those. And I'm looking at the pencil going, I don't really have a use for that. But boy, it looks cool. Would I use it if I bought it? Would you develop a use is the question. Yeah, exactly. Would I take, I mean, for me, it's going to be more likely making notes than, you know, in handwriting recognition recognition and such uh, rather than drawing. But you never know. Once in a while, we we had a presentation recently at the Mac user group Mm. with someone who was showing some beautiful things to be done with drawing. And I go, someday, maybe I'll do that. So the fact that iOS 12 gives us annot- image annotation so nicely it definitely makes the pencil more appealing because I still waste a lot of tree when I need uh, to read something and actually consume it, which in my case involves scribbling on things, highlighting things, and writing notes on things. Ah, uh, right. And if the pencil is actually good enough, I think I could save a lot of tree that way. The problem is I've only ever used non-pencil styli. And you may as well give me a giant big crayon and a five-year-old because that's about as as much fine control as you get with a non-pencil stylus. That's very interesting because I'm wondering, I I read iBooks a lot and I do highlighting Mm. and I'm wondering if I'm able to do that with the pencil. That's a question. I think you should go buy one, Linda. It's that simple. (laughs) Let's go buy it, right? No, I have to go to the store and get them to show me what I can do besides draw because... Well, there you go. Actually, there's another cool feature. If If you have a pencil and you use the pencil to wake the iPad... You, it will jump straight into the notes app and you actually can configure whether it jumps you to your last open note or to a new note. So that's sort of your choice, which you want it to mean. But it means that when you're in a meeting, just like you can take a picture without unlocking the phone, you can take a note without unlocking the iPad. And the only thing you can do on the iPad until you face ID unlock it is that one note that you're taking right there and then. And so the pencil really does turn that tablet into a pad of a paper. scratch pad almost, yeah, scratch yeah. pad. It's, it's great, yeah. yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm not in the market for a new iPad Pro, but if I was, I think the fact that the pencil is now magnetically paired to the thing means that you're actually going to have the iPad and the pencil with you when you want to do something. Whereas right now, my stylus is always in the bottom of my bag somewhere. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure yeah, my pencil nice one would have been nice the same. Touch. Yeah. So it's interesting. And any other thoughts on the new hardware from Apple? Or will we move on to our last story? The the only last thought, thought I have um, is that there does seem to be an increased um, emphasis on specs. Um, and that, that was never really Apple style. Now, I don't know if this has been... Is, the, is this something I'm noticing from commentators or from Apple? Sales, but I think it's from app, or I think it's from commentators. And when you say this, specs, Dermot, do you mean like traditional specs, as in number of megahertz and stuff, or do you mean what Apple talk about, which is which is what it feels like to use? I'm I'm thinking more of the likes of people producing Geekbench scores and um, yeah, pixels per inch. And yeah, that's um, not. I mean, Apple didn't do that from the stage. That that is very much the Technorati, right? Yeah, maybe it's the Technorati. It's it's like I say, it's the, the that reminds me of the days of when people were bringing out new PCs and they were all about the megahertz and the gigahertz and the and the megabytes and the gigabytes. If you know what I mean. Yes. Um, I guess Apple do have a thing of saying twelve times as fast, or it feels twice as fast, or whatever it happens to be. But um, I don't know. I'm just sensing this of late. I mean, but 
having said that, like the the iPad is clearly clearly a winner now. It's like they say, outstripping every laptop sale out out there. Be interesting if they'd add their own laptop sales to it. Would it still be more? And I suspect it would. I suspect if they'd have said it's outselling all of the top seven, and I think if they'd have put Apple's own laptop category in there, they probably still would have been outselling them. But, um, you know, I mean, it's 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 undoubtedly the winning. Uh, the the winning tablet and yeah I'm starting to see more and more surfaces out there but they always seem to be owned by people in banks you know <laughs> yeah I, yeah there, there was a there was a moment when lots of people I saw had surfaces and now they're all back to laptops which is yeah, disappointing I so. because yeah. I I had a lot of hope for the surface as as being a good competitor. And maybe, yeah, maybe you know, I haven't seen the very PC. newest one, so in in the flesh. So maybe, maybe. Anyway, let's anyway. Yeah. let's go on to story four. Let's go on to story four. So, since you were mentioning numbers, we may as well start with numbers. So, story four is Apple's Q4 earnings call, and so you were just saying, you know, in terms of raw numbers. So you're saying, you know, does the iPad outsell the Mac? Well, I can tell you that. So, um, <laughs> in terms of units, this quarter. Oh, it's Q3, not... No, no, sorry, Q4. So this quarter, in terms of units, the iPad sold almost 10 million. The Mac sold a little over 5 million. So there are about twice... Give or take. I'm being a bit generous here with my rounding. But there are about twice as many iPads sold as Macs. Sure. So, yeah. However, that utterly, completely, and totally dwarfs the iPhone which is almost 47 million, which is within a squinting rounding error of 10 times the Mac. Yeah. Which is astonishing. Yeah. Linda, this is, this is completely your bailiwick. So rather than me trying to do a summary, would you like to well, give us the summary so that we focus on the right things? Hmm... Um, I probably should have warned you. I I'll was tell you do what, that, really, shouldn't I? Yeah, if you, yeah. Since, since um, what I have up is is more addressing the specific change that Apple is making and the yeah, and so the we'll, we'll pause over that. that. Yeah, we'll pause that. We'll, we'll, so, we'll pause that discussion. So we've talked about what they announced and then the little bombshell they threw as they walked out the door. Right. I've, I focus more on the bombshell. So why don't why don't you do whatever you would want to point to okay. in terms of the actual results? Okay, and then so that you know I can respond but go ahead perfect okay we'll start with the we'll start with the facts how's about that we'll start with the facts and we'll take <laughs> it from there so a yada 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 record setting quarter okay great um that's sort of always the same so what's sort of interesting is that the iphone in terms of units when you do the rounding the percentage change year over year is zero the revenue change is 29 percent so apple have sold the same number of iPhones, but made 29% more money doing it. And that's almost certainly down to the success of the 10, uh, 10S and 10R. Uh, and actually and not that, the 10R, that, because that's not right. in this quarter. So the 10 right. and the 10S. And uh, the 10S is only a little bit of that, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the 10 really has, yeah. has, has done most of the heavy lifting there. Um, right. iPad numbers continue to be... Not stellar. Um, units down 6%, revenue down 15%, which I'm guessing is because less pros were sold. There's the only way I can make, see that making sense. Or as lots of little iPad minis were sold or something. 
Um, the Mac then is pretty much flat. Minus 2% units plus 3% revenue. That's that's within your rounding errors, really. Um, services then is up 17% and other, which includes the watch and the AirPods, is up 31%, giving us basically everything's up 20% in terms of revenue. So I can see why people say it was a good quarter. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing just to note is... A lot of coverage of Apple tends to be a US focus, so it's I like the fact that Apple break down their revenues by where in the world it is. And it is true to say that America remains Apple's biggest market. So of the money they took in, um twenty seven billion I think that's billion, is it? Or is it Yes. Yeah, it must be billion, as this is Apple. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's a good way to figure. <laughs> So twenty seven, yeah, twenty seven thousand million. So twenty seven billion and a half of the revenue was U.S., which is almost twice as much as the second biggest market. And the second biggest market is us, us Europeans, at a little over fifteen billion, followed then by Greater China, which is, I guess, their way of saying we'll include Taiwan. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, that's twelve billion. And then comes Japan at five, and then rest of Asia Pacific comes in at three, and apparently Africa doesn't exist. Uh, it's it's tiny. It's yeah, it's probably in an other. Well, there is no other though. They literally have left it yeah. off the map. It's it's a rounding error. Africa yeah. is a rounding error. Sorry, people. At this point. So you know, you, I guess you can see why Apple focus on America, but Europe doesn't tend to get a lot of coverage. And we're the second biggest market. Why does China get all the coverage? They're below us. Well, it, it, coverage. Um, Apple did specifically mention Germany, as I remember, and I believe UK um, in the conference call itself. So they, okay. the numbers there were good. So, so it depends on who's, you know, what they're looking at. So who's coverage. Cool. So. Okay. So what stands out to me there in terms of those numbers is the other products continuing to grow. And something I've noticed in the real world. So I work in a university and we've just had a new term start in the last couple of weeks. And it is astonishing to me. Last term, I never saw an AirPod. They, they were hypothetical. You know, people like oh, Alison really? Sheridan had, had AirPods, but they were hypothetical. They are everywhere in the student population. It's like yeah. cables are out of fashion. You've got to have white doodads with no cables. That is clearly tell, fashion. Tell me this. Um, are you seeing much of the wireless Beats? Some actually, yes, because they they tend either beats or beats knockoffs. Yes, yes, sort of the more hipstery ones. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm in Silicon Valley, so what I see is going to be quite different. But yeah. I see many more AirPods than I do the Beats. For what that's mm-hmm. worth, I don't know what that's worth because you know this locale is is what it is. I'm sort of estimating fifty fifty ish around here in, on on campus. So that's with a younger with a very distinctly like, I mean that's not an average cohort, right? That's a university campus is not an average town. So yeah. But Yeah, no, that's why I asked it. I mean I I, I my observations would 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 tally with yours in that I'm seeing more and more people just around town with um AirPods. Yeah, I'm seeing people um, walk the dog like six year olds walking their dog with AirPods. <laughs> It's wonderful. I'm yeah. delighted that technology has been so democratized that everyone just uses it. They're just great. They're a fantastic product. And I also get the impression the watch is doing well because 
I used to. It used to be a thing when you noticed a fellow Apple Watch wearer. It's not a thing anymore. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. I see that too. And it, it every report that I see says that yeah, the watch is doing very well, especially this new watch. And so basically, I just all all I'm looking for now is does anyone have a cool band? Yes, <laughs> watch are completely normal. So I don't know to look out for cool bands. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I don't think there's all that much more to say about the the big facts. I guess the other thing is, which I'm going to ask you to explain, Linda, is uh, the guidance apparently disappointed Wall Street. So right. do, do you want to just put that into context for me? Because I'm not sure what to make of that. Sure. It's it's always the case. I'll, I'll just say this. The analysts are always doing a guessing game, as is anyone who's predicting the future with respect to anything, right? Sure. So, so it's always a guessing game. Um, Apple pointed to sp- some specific factors in the conference call why they were going a little bit light, and one of the big factors is foreign exchange, because mm-hmm. at this, and this happened, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, and then it, it lessened up a little bit in the past couple of years, but has now reared its head again. Is that the U.S. dollar becomes very, very strong compared to a number of other currencies, many other currencies, almost really every other currency uh, around the world. And when the U.S. dollar is strong, it means that you have to pay more um, euros in your case or British pounds or uh, Japanese yen, yen, all the other currencies. The price goes up for everyone else in the world. And they basically, I believe the number was like a $2 billion, what they call headwind, just based on foreign exchange. So you would think that analysts would put that in, but regardless, the analysts were at the very, very high end of Apple's guidance, depending on which analyst you're talking about. And anytime the guidance is low, then that freaks people out. Um, Nonetheless, that was not the biggest freak out. In this now, particular, just to put things into context, so the guidance was below what the analysts were hoping slash expecting. Was the right. guidance low compared to say the guidance for this time last year? I don't recall those precise numbers, but historically, for many, many, many years, Apple always guided very low and then came in at, with a tremendous beat. Mm. And finally, people just got so they paid the the guidance itself no attention, and then maybe a year or two ago, I think Apple more, said, "I think it's two or three at this stage." Where Apple where basically Mastery kind of went, "Yeah, we used to lie, we're not, but we're not lying anymore. We promise." Exactly, exactly. So, and and they have pretty much held by that, although. This quarter being an example, they still are beating much of the time. So they're still guiding conservatively, right. uh, although not as low. That They're not lowballing the way they used to be. So you've got this situation where maybe they're being conservative for any number of factors. I mean, any number of reasons. You could It could be the foreign exchange. It could be the trade war situation. It could be, you know, who knows? Uh, it could be the Bloomberg story. So, what are, they something. Gu- what are they guiding revenue for for twenty eighteen? Oh, sorry. Oh, the whole, well, they just—I believe they just did for the quarter. And let me—I don't have that number in front of me, but I'm going to tell you it was—it was in the ninety some billion. Let me actually uh, let's see if I can pull that up quickly. Um, yeah, because it's so the the quarter to compare to the guidance is the twenty eighteen Q one because Apple 
Correct. Backwards. So I, I Googled for Q4 2017. Uh, so I just got and redone my Googling. Now I have the right data sheet in front of me. So last year, Apple's actual Q1 revenue was 88 billion point three. So 88.3 88, billion. Yeah, it's in the 90s this time, and I don't remember the exact number. So they're guiding higher than they I were can. last year, but oh, not yeah, as high as Wall higher. Street wanted. Exactly. But here's here's the thing to remember. Analysts are there to protect their investors. The investors they advise, they are there yes. to protect them against losses. And that's and it could be, you know, unions or it could be uh well, pension funds, yeah, right? It could be pension funds, exactly. It could be anybody that they're guiding. So they're there to protect their money. And just actually just, so analysts, just to clarify on that, so the people who pay effectively, the people who are paying for the analysis are the these investors, yes? Right. And often it's institutional investors. Almost always for the ones that we hear, they're institutional investors. So it's not, you know, Joe Smith down the down the right. street, it, typically. Um, I mean, unless he's a very, very rich guy. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah, he yes. could pay Unless for you live on analysis. Pennsylvania Avenue or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, <laughs> yes. Um, so, so they're there to, impre- to protect the interests. And then the analysts say, okay, I think the Apple Apple is going to be worth in one year $300 a share, whatever. Mm-hmm. People buy they, the stock based on that investment, based on that analysis, based yeah. on that projection. They go, oh, they think it's going to go up that much. I think I'll put in X dollars. Right. Then when they're wrong – you know, you know, when it's like, oh, no, they're uh, all of a sudden now they're readjusting their targets down. Mm. Then it's like, whoops, I've got this other place where I can invest my money, where I'm going to be doing a better job for my constituents, yes. whomever they may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does make sense. And which is why the stock market moving is not a reflection. I used to think the stock market was insane because Apple just announced a great quarter <laughs> and the stock went down. But it's not about what you did for me last quarter. It's about what you're promising for next quarter. And so actually the guidance, I think, has a much bigger effect on the stock than the earnings. Yeah, actually, for the, the market as a whole looks six months to a year ahead of time. But so the guidance do it, is even only a hint at what they're really thinking. Exactly. Okay, and you'll you'll hear that in the price targets. And I, I know you probably yeah. you listen to Mac OS Ken, and he's always reporting. You know, Katie Huberty of Morgan Stanley adjusted her. I price have a target question for from... you. Sorry, Ken said something today, and I I, I mentally <laughs> yes. said I need to ask Linda. And now that you now that you have it in my mind, an overweight rating to me that sounds right. like is that saying that the stock is overpriced or that the stock is going no. to gain value? It's 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 a positive. It's it's analogous to a buy rating. It's saying in your portfolio you have a certain percentage of uh, Microsoft, you have a certain percentage of uh, GE, you have a certain percentage right. of um, Telstra from Australia, whatever. For Apple, make a higher percentage of your portfolio. Um, Apple. That's okay. what it means for a stock to be overweight. It's okay, overweight because- as opposed to average. Right, because to me it sounds like it, it's going to shed. You know, when I'm overweight, I try to shed. <laughs> right, me too. <laughs> yeah. Because right. yeah, um, Ken said it in an upbeat tone, and my brain went, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> yes, good, good, good. Thank good, you, good, Linda. Good. That, 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 that yes, is very yes. helpful. I now know one more good. thing. Because was it bull good, bear bad, overweight Correct. good? Right. And if you want it, the bull and the bear thing, Think about an actual bull. They charge forward, right? And an actual bear would reach up with its claws and pull something down. 
So you there can have that really graphically in your head. And that, that helps. That helped me when I was just learning this stuff. Um, and one more question since we're on this weird terminology. So bull and bear are antonyms of each other. So uh-huh. overweight, do you say a stock is underweight or do you? Is it... You would say, um, I would advise you to underweight that stock. Okay, so there is, okay, so then there's okay, so you have a couple of these yeah. different axes then because the other one you hear is underperform and outperform, which I guess they are opposites of each other. So you've overweight, underweight, outperform. Right, underweight. Yeah, underweight and overweight are how you would. It's like buy and sell. Like I advise they you. Like, to they sound like verbs to me. Yeah, exactly. Well, the the, they are. They, yeah. Exactly. They're, well, they're ratings. So if you there's. Uh, yeah, there's a page I can send you that it's would a call show you to some action. of these. But you, you need to you need to yes. focus. You need to get more of this. When you're configuring your portfolio, yes, when you're configuring your portfolio, overweight means buy more of it or make sure that your percentage of it is higher than it is average, the average stock, whatever that might be. And when people talk about stock performing underweight, they mean less than the market as a whole. I know, not sorry, not underweight, underperform. They're talking about relative to the whole stock market, isn't it? Correct. Correct. And I would always use the S&P for that. So yeah, the S&P it's gonna, 500, it's under- not the Dow, which yeah. is a... Correct. If you ever want to know why the Dow is useless, you should listen to Planet Money. They have an amazing episode that explains how absolutely stupid it is. And as a scientist, I remember listening to this episode going, why does anyone on planet Earth still use the Dow? Yeah, it's it's a historical... I mean, it does have historical value. I mean, even though... <laughs> even yes. though it seems like it doesn't because it's been around for so long people still look at it as how does it work historically but it's not it's not as good as the S&P it's too it's too tiny it's only 30 stocks whereas the S&P is 500 stocks and it's 30 stocks based on the arbitrary criteria of they're the ones we picked right right whereas the S&P 500 actually has a meaning it's the the 500 biggest stocks that are traded in the U.S. stock exchange are the S and P five hundred. That's I believe so. By well, yeah, I believe so. I would have to it's actually by market look cap, that isn't up. it? Um, it may be. I'm not gonna. I, stuff goes in and out of the S and P also. So I think that my memory is there are more criteria than just a market cap. But it's so not I'm arbitrary, not sure. right? It's rules. It's it's algorithmic. Are, it's it's rule based. It's definitely rule based, but I'm not sure we know exactly what their rules are. At least, you know, I would have to look that up. Sure, sure, yes. Yeah. But I guess the point is that the Dow is, is, is sort of human intuition based, whereas the S and P 500 is. These are the rules, and you you take the data from the market and you shove it into the rules, and out pops the S and P 500. Right. It's the the Dow is more subjective. Yes. I would just okay. leave it at that, and it's and it's a smaller percentage of all the stocks in the universe, so that becomes a problem. Uh, you know, when you're, it's not really a representative of the whole market, gotcha. or or at least as large a percentage of the market, because the whole market is is bigger all the way around. So, so Apple announced their guidance. It wasn't as good as the market wanted, and Apple stock went down. But there there was a little bit more reason the stock went down, really, wasn't there? Yes, typically it might go down. Uh, and I'm going to, this is a random number and I'm saying typically, so this is a generalization, but typically if they don't like the guidance, it might go down 5%, something like that. It's down a lot more than that. And I'd have to figure the exact percentage. I don't have that in front of me. Well, it was but 7% what happened, yesterday, so it's probably gone down since, I'm guessing. Yes, it has. It was down again today, another three, I think. So it's gone, gone down more than 10. Yeah. Um, so... 
um, here's what happened. Apple informed the analysts and the world that they will no longer be reporting the exact numbers of Macs, iPhones, and iPads per quarter. And the market doesn't like that. The market doesn't like uncertainty, and the market likes more data, not less data. And going back to the analyst's duty to protect their investors, they are duty-bound to be skeptical when a company starts giving less information rather than more information, because you have to go, you know, now I know that this is not the case on Apple, and they know this too, but you have to look at companies in the past like Enron, which was a huge scandal and ended up going that down the tubes. And there are other names as well. I mean, historically speaking, a number yeah, of it's companies. It's hard to beat Enron, right? If you're going to give an yeah. example of, of, uh, of how to lie to a market, it's probably right. a good one. Right. And, and the analysts totally blew that at the time. They did not catch what was going on. So the analysts are duty-bound to be skeptical to protect their investors again. So they hate uncertainty. They're getting less information. That's always bad, or at least it's seen that way. <clears throat> so there's there's that on the one side. On the other side, um, there are categories of stocks. There are some stocks that are considered growth stocks. Other stocks are considered value stocks. And Apple has, all, I shouldn't say has always been, it's typically was a growth stock for years, and then it was considered more of a value stock. But it's always kind of had one foot in each camp. Mm. So that's kind of, so the, so in that sense, the market's like, we don't know what to do with these, with the stock. The other thing is that any stock that has recurring revenue, subscriptions, think um, Comcast, which is uh, cable television, yeah. um, or any where there's recurring value, recurring subscription income, those stocks are valued more highly than a stock that, quote, just sells products, unquote, because you never know for sure how many products are going to be sold in the future. Yeah. And the iPhone, a lot of people will say, some of your articles that are in the show notes say, uh, the, the, the smartphone market is saturated. We've sold all of those in the universe that we'll ever be able to sell, which is wrong. But, you know, that's... that's yeah, but the, I mean, the market at. as a whole actually contracted 6%. Apple's right. share managed to go up a little bit, but the market as a whole did contract. So that's a bit of a headwind at the very least. It is a headwind. It is a it is a, a a worthy headwind. So Apple, what my guess, my educated guess is, is that what they are trying to do is to get analysts and the market generally to no longer focus on yes they sell products, but focus instead on their recurring revenue stream. So the subscriptions they keep talking about that the services etc. Right. So this um, is a continuation then of I mean. Apple didn't used to talk about services, but the last, at least the last two years worth of earnings calls, like Tim Cook was like a like a stuck record. Services, services, right. services, services, services. So you're saying this is the same logic taken to the next clunk in this, you know, in the process. Right, right. And they also they have all, they're also on record saying that from their two, uh, 2016 number, they plan they will by 2020 double income and services. So they're saying more and more we're moving in that direction rather than being just a product, a seller of products. And is that then continuing the transition from a from a, a growth stock to a value stock? So if if I'm understanding correctly, a growth stock would not tend to give dividends, would not tend to do share buybacks, whereas a value stock would tend to do those kind of things? 
Oh, um, a value stock does it. Yes, definitely with dividends. Um, I don't want to say one way or the other on buybacks, but because I think you, you could have one. Uh, but I think it, it it's the case that many um, services stocks, stocks that depend on recurring revenue, many of those are in fact value stocks. But I don't think that's necessarily the case because you could have uh, well, actually, I can think of an example. There's a, a stock here in Silicon Valley called Nutanix, where they are doing something. You probably would understand this part, their technical parts better than I do, but they are doing something. They're selling software having to do with a, the hybrid cloud, which you or, or uh, Dermot probably understand much better than I do. But they're selling a service, but they're growing like crazy. So they're a growth stock. Yeah. So those yeah, so two I, I, can... Sorry, I wasn't conflating the two, but basically, I, ah. I think it's a true statement that Apple have been, under Steve Jobs, they didn't do things like uh, dividends. But under Tim Correct. Cook, I get the impression Apple are actively trying to change the stock. And Tim Cook is always telling people, don't think about us quarter to quarter. We're a long term stock. Think about us year right. over year. And so to me, this just seems like a trend that Tim Cook wants to pull Apple from being seen as a value stock to being, sorry, to being, from being seen as a growth stock to being seen as a value stock, a sort of a mature company instead of a, I mean, you can't keep growing, right? I think he, I think he wants both. And, and the thing I would say about, to me, it's to some degree, it's the difference between Steve and Tim, but it's also the difference between how the company itself is maturing. You know, it's just been around another, what, eight years or thereabouts. And so things transition, things the company has grown tremendously. And you can't keep doubling, um, right? Because it's exponential. That's what, yeah, 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 right, exactly. Your growth rate is, is always is considerably higher when you're a smaller company. But, but there's still a lot of ways in which Apple can keep growing. And I don't think they want to give up entirely uh, the idea of being a growth company. Okay. If they say, say, for instance, there's all the speculation about an Apple car, say they do get into the car business of somehow and they are phenomenally successful. That's a brand new market. And that component and cars are expensive. That component itself could hypothetically be a tremendous uh, addition to growth of the company. Certainly revenue, so, right? We may not make much profit the auto industry, but revenue wise, it's a big one. Yeah, but Apple would make profit, right? Because yeah. Apple makes <laughs> Yeah, their makes margins more would be higher than Toyota's. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um so let's see. And then the other thing I would point out, I I really think the reason the stock is down as hard as it is is basically because of this change in the reporting structure that they're no longer going to report those individual numbers now, for Macs and iPhones and pads. Um at the context, same time they're go ahead. So Apple did report numbers, and now Apple won't be reporting numbers. Now, they're still going to be Correct. reporting the revenues, right? So when I look at the data sheet now, there's two columns everywhere. There's units revenue, units revenue. So the units column vanishes into the ether. Right. And, but the revenue column is still going to remain. So we're still going to know the revenue for iPhone, the revenue for iPad, the revenue for Mac, the revenue for services, the revenue for other products. Yes? That is my that is my understanding. And I will also say, though... Um, I went back over and read the transcript of the conference call, and to me, it's still a little bit ambiguous exactly what they're going to do, because um, yeah. they talk about uh, adopting um, FASB, so that's an, that's accounting standards of some sort uh, for standard revenue recognition, et cetera, and they and they go 
into some detail about that, but exactly what that's going to look like. I'm not at the level where I understand what it's going to look like without seeing it. And the other piece of context, Apple were actually the exception for giving this much detail, weren't they? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, well, Dell, uh, I, guess, I don't know if Dell is back as, as publicly traded or not, but when Dell was um, on the, when, when Dell was a publicly traded stock, they did not give those numbers. Most other companies do not. The Android makers don't. Samsung doesn't, um, et cetera. Famously never gives out any numbers. Correct. Correct. Um, of these kinds of numbers. So that, that is true. Um, still, for all of Apple's history, they have been giving out these numbers, and it goes away, and it's like, oh my goodness, something they did terrible. They sort of telegraph this when they said that, yeah, we're doing a whole new category of products called Other, and we're not telling you how many we're selling. I mean, that's kind of telegram telegraphing where Apple are going, right? Yes, yes, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't know that anybody thought they would go back. Uh, that would be sort of like they 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 lock down iOS. They don't lock down uh, macOS in the same way. Are they eventually going to try to lock down macOS the way they lock? You know what I'm saying? It's like just because they've done one one way and one the other, you don't always know to what degree they're going to go. Harmonize, uh, yeah, yeah, in the direction. Um, and then the other the other comment I will make is the stock market generally, because macro events have a huge impact that a lot of people don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of random things going on in the universe. Um, It does that, uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. We have the trade wars going on. That is having an effect. Um, We all, immigration laws, actually the immigration law changes in this country are, do hurt Apple um, because they bring in so many engineers from overseas. And there's certain things that have been changed that makes it harder to find good engineers uh, to bring into to bring into Silicon Valley. And so those kinds of things are a factor. And Tim on the conference call focused on, it was Turkey, Turkey, India, and one other country. And he focused on those and he said, look, each one of those is different. He said business in China was actually, ex- was quite good. He did not put China in that category. Hmm. Uh, but there are still, there's issues in China. Um, but, uh, uh, Turkey in particular does have a currency issue right now and even more than other countries. So there is stuff that's going on uh, in the world that are just random. So I have, uh, my way I've been thinking about this big change and tell me if, if, um, if I'm thinking about this wrong or if I'm making some vague amount of sense. So, Mm -hmm. Apple, the, the, Apple's biggest market is the iPhone. That is the thing Apple sell the most of. It makes up most of their money and it makes up most of their units. So the iPhone right. is very important to Apple. And the iPhone is maturing in the same way that when laptops were the new hip and happening thing, you would replace them every year because there will be such a dramatic difference between this year's and last year's. But mm-hmm. as laptops have matured, we've gone from one year to two year to three year to five year to seven year replacement cycles for some people. And the same is happening the iPhone, and it it should because it isn't new. It, it, it you know the concept of having a pocketable computer is now normal, and so you can use an iPhone six now and still have a perfectly fine experience. Whereas a, a four year old iPhone a few years ago would have been useless. So yeah. going forward, it seems inevitable to me that people's refresh rate on smartphones is going to slow. And so Apple need to move from making their money by selling you 
lots of iPhones to selling you a really nice iPhone every couple of years. And that's a really good way to keep their revenue constant, but it's going to make their unit sales plummet. And therefore, if you keep telling Wall Street what your unit sales are, Wall Street are going to be needlessly cranky at you because while you can say, but no, 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 look at the revenue, look at the revenue, they're not going to because you've just shown them a number with a minus sign in front of it. And so if you want to have a sustainable business and you want to encourage people to recycle devices, you want to encourage people to be more environmentally friendly, you sell them a better device that's going to last longer for more money. Right. The the other thing that Apple is doing to mitigate the the um, uh, the movement that we, that you just mentioned, you know, about how it's no longer as exciting to go from year to year. The other thing they're doing is they're widening the price range of the products they sell. So the iPhone SE, we're mm. selling now still the iPhone Seven or the XR itself, yeah. right? The ten the ten R. Um, so they're widening the price range and try and attempting to um, expand into other markets. And you mentioned Africa not being on the list. I would imagine three, four years it will be, and right. India because those are growing markets. China can still be a growing market. So there are some markets and taking market share from Android. Right. So those will be the areas where they're going to try to expand, and at the same time, the services. Um, yeah. But you, so you don't I think, think I'm crazy. This is where one of the big growths is. I mean, absolutely. You know, if you if you go back and look, um, the the model in the telco space was always ARPU, which was your average revenue per user. Right. And I'd imagine if Apple, if you went back five years and looked at the average revenue per per user that Apple got from a sale, um, there's no doubt that that's gone up a hell of a lot because obviously people are buying apps and so on. But now mm-hmm. you've got your Apple Music subscription, you're buying your movies through iTunes and so on. So obviously selling the box is one aspect to it. But once you join the ecosystem, um, yeah. it's just a very easy place to spend more of your money. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think the service is just going to continue to, con- you know, continue to get better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And I think that's also part of their emphasis on uh, Apple today, you know, getting people into the stores to show them what they can do with their devices. Cool. Okay, anyone have any final thoughts on the earnings call? Um, Would it be fair to say that the next earnings call will tell a tale? Well, <laughs> every earnings call tells a tale. The next earnings call would be very interesting because, I mean, I think more because of the macroeconomic factors, because you've got the holiday quarter mm-hmm. and we have to see what, what the universe is going to do here. Um, but also what how exactly they're going to do the reporting will be interesting as well. And then how it's responded to. I mean, they may the, the market could have gotten over it by then, but we'll see. It's interesting that they do it at the yeah because if they had made this change one one month, well, hmm. It, yeah, I, I'm it, really curious to see what the market does next time when they're handed a data sheet with less fields. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's the thing: every time Apple does a um, does an announcement, um, their share price seems to dip uh, immediately afterwards. Um, it happens after WWDC. It typically happens after the September event. It uh, typically happens after the October event um, and it just really quickly recovers and, and certainly that's right. been the case the last number of years and I, I, this this baffles me I, I you know the way the way prices move are far more about sentiment 
than, oh, yes. um, than actual logic. And um, I've seen a really, really good presentation once by Horace Deju. Um, mm, I might have mentioned yes. this last time I was on, but, um, you know, he showed how uh, Apple is doomed. And then he took every <laughs> single um, every single metric that, that accountants would use, like price earnings ratio, like revenue, like, uh, you know, the increase or decrease in sales. And he showed how they were outstripping the market all over the place. And in some cases, he'd be showing up graphs and he'd be showing how Amazon are doing and how Microsoft are doing and all that sort of stuff. And he would have to increase the access to get Apple onto it in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And yet he was saying that, you know, and, and yet the share price dips. So it 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 seems to me that that's um, a, yeah you know it seems to me that if 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 Apple make an announcement, it gives uh, a chance for the press to spin that one way or another. It often results in a temporary dip in in um in the share price and and usually by the way I think that's just because everyone likes an Apple story. And even better, if you can spin it as a negative, you'll get more clicks. Um, so well, it results, you know, it's, this stuff just seems crazy to me. That's, that's part of it. But let me just say, uh, in general, for any company, there's an adage in the market. It's buy on the rumor, sell on the news. So anytime Apple is getting ready to make an announcement, if we apply that to Apple, it's like people, you know, the, because the stock went up before the earnings report and then it goes down afterwards. You will see that pattern, but it's not just Apple. That's true of almost any company. Sure. Buy on the rumor, sell on the news. So that's that's an adage. And so people follow that because, well, whatever company I'm investing in, if I'm a day trader and there are such people out there, mm. then I can make my money because I know that it's going to go down afterwards. So I, then I can sell it short or I can, you know, uh, buy it ahead of time, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 just normal market behavior. Oh, so you so, buy, but it doesn't. You, yeah. You buy ahead. before the start of the rise. So, you know, it's going to go up as the keynote approaches. So you buy before then. And you right. hang on to it till the keynote happens. And at that point, it starts to dip, but it's OK to sell because you bought way before it started to go up. And so you're still going to make a profit. Right. If you're a day trader, that's, in my opinion, my personal opinion, that's not the way to invest your money. But you well, know, it's very some chaotic, people do right? that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it sounds like something, read out a yeah. disclaimer at this point. <laughs> we, yeah. we do need a disclaimer. I, I strongly suggest people not do that because the minute you do, there'll be an exception to the rule. And that happens too. Yeah. So it's gambling, folks. If you yeah, have well, money well, to spare and you yeah. enjoy it, fair enough. But it's this, not yeah. this podcast does not offer financial advice. Please talk to your right. local financial advisor. That's right. That's absolutely right. And we we offer as would... much financial advice as you pay for. You don't pay us a cent. We offer you no advice. <laughs> That's our your Patreon uh, patrons will come after you for that part. <laughs> okay. I offer you a podcast in exchange for your donation. I do not offer you financial advice in exchange for your <laughs> <sighs> yes, so. we, we definitely do not offer financial advice, apart from the advice that I don't go anywhere near the stock market. Yeah. Well, you. Well, where's your retirement funds? <laughs> See, people. Mm, awkward people, silence. People. Mm. Yeah. People think they don't, but they do. And I, my own personal opinion is, it's good to know what you own because you do own something. Okay, but and I'm a, good technically to have a, a public servant, so in my case, my pension's with the government, so. It doesn't mean that if the and, government screw up investing it, I still get my pension. That's true. That's true. 
but there are a lot of people, well, in the U.S., it would be IRAs and, you know, various other retirement vehicles. So I mean, the norm nowadays is is defined contribution, but being a public servant, I still have defined benefit, which means I have the luxury of not caring. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, pros and cons, yeah. It has many cons, right? There are many, many, many cons, but the pro is it doesn't matter what the stock market does. My pension is based on my salary only. The other comment I would make is there are gamblers in the stock market and there are investors. And investors, long-run investors, typically do very, very well. So, so investors be smart. Warren Buffett, that, is that what you exactly. mean? Exactly. Exactly. And boy, is he good. So, yes. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Linda. I learned a lot as always. And I'm, I'm always relieved when you're here because then if I say something stupid, you can stop me, which is great. Yeah, Instead of having to get an email afterwards and then having to make a correction, it's much easier when you're here in person. Uh, um, yeah, you don't generally do that, though. I don't anymore. No, <laughs> no. I got some very, very helpful emails from you over the past, which helped me improve my understanding greatly. And since then, I've made much less of a fool of myself. So thank you. <laughs> Let's wrap up with just two little quick stories. Um, We learned recently enough about Apple's new um, Everyone Can Create curriculum. It is now available for free to anyone in Apple Books. And also Genius Lyrics have arrived as part of Apple Music, if you're a subscriber to that service. I am going to draw a line under it here, folks, because we have been going for almost two hours, which is, I think, a new record for this show. But then again, we've had rumours that every data centre in the world was ruined. We've had a really impressive keynote with lots of cool products and we've had a very consequential earnings call. So I guess we have excuses for going long. Anyway, thank you very much to both of you for sticking with me through such a long show. Um, So uh, ladies first, Linda, would you like to tell the dear listeners where they can um, get in touch with you online and also maybe plug that lovely Mac user group you're a part of? Okay, that's um, I'm on Twitter uh, at LLG, which is my initials, the number four and CDG and the Mac user group, which is where I would direct you more more easily. I do a lot more there than I do on the um, on Twitter uh, is SV mug Silicon Valley mug it stands for. Uh, so Silicon Valley Mac user group SV mug the initials dot org. And that's obviously in Silicon Valley. Right, I would guess. it is. And, oh, oh, and if perchance any listeners are in this area, we are going to have, uh, by the miracle of the internet, we are going to have Chuck Joyner with us uh, the week before Thanksgiving, or the right before Thanksgiving, the Monday before Thanksgiving, doing something on how to save money on buying your tech things. And it will also have some Black Friday deals. So he's awesome, as people know. And uh, that'll be fun. So come join us if you possibly can. That sounds great. Excellent. Uh, Dermis, do you want to give out your Twitter details and maybe plug that little company that you happen to run that makes cool Apple-y stuff? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter as DermDaily, which is D-E-R-M-D-A-L-Y. And the company website is tapadoo.com. That's T-A-P-A-D-O-O.com. And you guys make apps. We make apps for iOS and Android, in fact. But um, but but I, I think might for have this a audience, preference for iOS myself. <laughs> I also think this audience is probably more interested in iOS apps. Yeah. Still, it's it's good to it's good to be where where all the people are because there are a lot of Androids on this planet. 
Okay, folks, thank you very much. Um, Listeners, you will find detailed show notes of all of the news stories that informed my thinking of this month's news over at lets-talk.ie. Also, thank you to Linda for sending on some good links for the show notes as well. Um, While you happen to be there, there are large buttons labeled support the show. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone who has used those buttons in the past and supported the show. It is very much appreciated. This show is not advertised. There are no advertisers. This is a listener-supported show. You guys make it possible. Without you guys, there would be no show. So thank you. Uh, You can support the show on Patreon, where you pledge a small dollar amount for every episode released. It will be exactly two every month. So if you'd like to send me $2 a month, pledge one, and it will get multiplied up to two. Uh, There is a PayPal link, which is a really good way to send a one-off contribution. And then there are affiliate links for uh, anyone who needs some server hosting over on DigitalOcean or anyone who needs some domains registered over on Hover.com. I'm going to leave it there, folks. So you will find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go? Wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.